Today in Science from Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Spoken Edition of Wired. The Secret to Running a Faster Marathon? Slow Down by Ed Caesar. As part of Wired's exclusive look at Breaking 2, Nike's revolutionary attempt to break the two-hour marathon mark, our writer is using the same training regime, apparel, and expertise as Nike's three elite athletes, including Olympic gold medalist Eliud Kipchoge, to try to achieve his own personal milestone a sub-90-minute half-marathon. This is the second in a series of monthly updates on his progress. On Wednesday, January 26th, I ran 10 kilometers through a forest in Kenya with Eliud Kipchoge, a few of his friends, and some of the scientists from Nike's Breaking 2 project. It was 4 p.m. and still blazing hot. We were at 2,450 meters of altitude. The atmosphere was jovial. Philemon Rono, a relentlessly cheerful athlete known to his friends as Askari Kadogu, small police, cracked jokes at my expense for at least the first 20 minutes. To be sure, little could have been funnier than me, a very hot six foot five British man sweating next to Rono, five feet three and a half inches of pure runner. All of a sudden, our curious-looking gang went quiet. Having lost a couple of hard-breathing scientists on the way out, casualties to the altitude, we turned around at halfway. For a brief period, with the sun muffled by an avenue of dense trees, nobody in the group said a thing. The pace gently increased from around 5 minutes per kilometer to a little north of 4.40 per kilometer. All you could hear was the hi-hat beat of sneakers on dust and the straining bellows of an outsized Mzungu attempting to hang with the Olympic marathon champion. It was during this period that I reflected upon the happy fact that I was not dead. Kipchoge has run whole marathons almost twice as fast as we were moving at that moment. Why had he chosen not to crank up the pace? Why hadn't he killed us? Kipchoge is polite to a fault. Was he simply humoring his guests? When we returned to his training camp, another possibility emerged. This was a recovery run, and Kipchoge really does take his recovery runs that slowly. 
The data the Nike science team analyzed from his GPS watch shows that the kind of run he had done with us was exactly the kind of run he would have done anyway. That thought remained with me. The previous day, at a dusty athletics track, I'd watched Kipchoge and his training group run 12 repetitions of 1,200 meters at roughly world-record pace for the marathon. Kipchoge later told me it was an 80% session, hard but not crazy. The day after our jog, I'd watch the same group scorch 40 kilometers, or 25 miles, nearly a whole marathon, in 2 hours 17 minutes. That, too, was real work. But on the Wednesday in between two intense days, Kipchoge had ambled his way to 20 easy kilometers, jogging in the morning and evening. Meanwhile, at his camp, a simple plot next to fields with cows containing two tin-roofed bungalows with no running water and long-drop toilets, he and his friends had spent their non-running time performing chores, listening to the radio, sleeping, and drinking gallons of sweet milky tea. I knew Kipchoge was fast. I didn't understand how slow he could be. This, I thought, might be a moment to learn something. A few weeks earlier, I'd been training at Paddington Recreation Ground in London, just starting on a set of mile repetitions, when I felt a little pop in my left calf. I ground to a halt. The injury was frustrating, to say the least. I'd been training hard and had been making progress. My times were coming down. My fitness was improving. I felt light. And now, out of nowhere, a setback. But then I thought, cowboy up. The leg didn't feel so bad. I rested for a couple of days, then tried out the calf on a short jog. After two days of decent training, a glorious progression run each kilometer faster than the last, with my friend Pete the Trumpet plus a great track session, I felt that little pop again and once more stopped dead. I was about five kilometers from home with no money in my pocket. It was freezing cold. The walk back seemed to take forever. The Nike team begged me to rest properly. I saw a physiotherapist named Matt Fox, who has worked at Manchester City and Bolton Wanderers football clubs and has seen more than his share of injured calf muscles. He thought the strain was most likely a grade one tear of my soleus. He also counseled inactivity. You can either rest properly now or you can turn a one-week injury into a six-week injury, he said. Foxes are smart, I knew. During my eight days off, I rethought other aspects of my training. Perhaps I'd injured myself because I was working too hard. In addition to five or six runs, many of which were intense, I was also training at CrossFit twice a week, throwing weights around, jumping on boxes, and so on. The CrossFit had been excellent for me, but with the running, I was exhausted. Eventually, something was going to give, and eventually it did. The data that the scientists had collected on me also altered my thinking. Nike has recently contracted a garrulous Chicago physician named Phil Skiba, who has trained many elite endurance athletes to work on breaking two. Skiba has developed algorithms that accurately measure and predict training loads. He's particularly interested by fatigue and the balance between what he calls the positive and negative effects of training. In particular, Skiba uses athletes' training data to predict when, before a race, they should begin their taper. 
that is, to progressively decrease their volume of training so that they arrive on race day fresh and fast. Every athlete has a different taper point. Some people need only a few days. Some people need weeks. The variations are explained both by differences in workload and by our physiological differences. Some athletes simply recover quicker from hard training than others in ways that geneticists and physiologists are still trying to fully understand. Skiba's data, however, is precise. He and the Breaking 2 crew believe that Kipchoge's taper may have started a day or two late before his previous marathons and that he would have benefited from around a week of rest rather than his normal five days. Whether it's worth shifting Kipchoge from his normal patterns for this one race is a concern among the Breaking 2 team, especially because routine is psychologically important to athletes. But their analysis shows how a data-augmented approach might yield benefits even for the greatest runners. As for Lalissa DeCisa, another of the three elite runners contesting Breaking 2, the Nike scientists believe his taper may be a few days too long. In my case, based on how I've reacted to my training load so far, they believe I should taper for 21 days. 21 days! Clearly, I am more in need of rest than the average lummox. Back to Kenya. Watching Kipchoge's group at work, I saw that they never did two intense days back-to-back. They were always committed to developing their fitness in the Kenyan parlance, slowly by slowly. Patrick Sang, Kipchoge's coach and a formidable presence in the athlete's life, explained to me the basis of this philosophy as he stood at the side of the track with a stopwatch in his hand and his red and black hoodie fastened tightly around his head. Our conversation had begun when I asked Sang why Kipchoge's group were doing a 12 by 1200 meter session on that day. Sang said this session was to build speed endurance, the ability to maintain a high speed for a long time. But if you thought about only one workout, you missed the point. The idea of a training program, Sang told me, was to improve every aspect of a runner. The approach was holistic. If you scheduled a speed endurance session for a Tuesday, you needed to make sure that the following day would be light so that the guys had time to recover before the Thursday long run. Friday would again be light before a different kind of speed workout on Saturday. Sunday was a day of rest. A good day of training was worth little on its own, but a good month was worth plenty. Slowly by slowly, the athlete's shape came. Every session is a building block, Sang said. Valentin Trau, Kipchoge's Dutch manager, told me something else interesting. He thought Kipchoge never killed himself in training. The only day on which he would drain every resource he possessed was on race day. Never 100% in any session, Trau said. That's the philosophy. This approach made sense to Skiba. The time to open up a can of whoop-ass is on race day, he told me. Otherwise, you risk leaving your best performance in training where nobody sees it. Slowly by slowly is not a mantra that lends itself to hard-charging Western approaches to fitness. How often do we hear that only hard work brings rewards, that the more you put in, the more you get out? Also, many average Western athletes like me do so much of their training at a consistent pace. There's not enough variation or rest in their schedules. 
The Kenyans, particularly those in Sang's group, are more sophisticated in their approach. I've never seen more committed athletes in any sport anywhere in the world, but they also know it would be crazy to grind themselves into the dust. On my last day in Kenya, I was talking to Jeffrey Kamwarer, a runner with a wide-gap-tooth smile and an easy manner that masks a profound belief in his own talents. As a runner, everything about him is purposeful. In training, he leans into bends with his shoulder, kicking up dust behind him like a young bull on the charge. In competitions, he is fearless. Now in his mid-twenties, he is the reigning world half-marathon champion and the world cross-country champion. He also won a silver medal in the 10,000 meters at the 2015 World Championships in Beijing. When I asked him what tips he could give to a Mzungu attempting to break 90 minutes for the half-marathon, his first thought was to get a good pacemaker. He offered his services. If you want 420 minutes per kilometer, that's no problem. I will bring a newspaper, he said, a bright smile on his face. If you want 250 minutes per kilometer, two-hour marathon pace, that's also no problem. He then became more serious and gave me some real advice. Work hard, he said, but not every day. I wrote that one down. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.